3, I will be reading from the King James Version. At that time, Jesus went on... At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were unhungered, and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was unhungered, and they that were with him? It is so good to see each of you this morning. We appreciate you being here, especially if you are visiting with us. We're glad to have you and uh, your families with us as well. I'm not in the habit of preaching a particular kind of a sermon for a particular holiday, but I do not want that to uh, anyone to take that as an indication that I'm not appreciative of motherhood. I want to say Happy Mother's Day to each of our mothers in the audience. Uh, being a mother, in my opinion, is the hardest job in the world and probably the most underappreciated job in the world, or at least one of them. My wife used to threaten my daughters when they were not doing what they should be doing in their schoolwork or things like that. She would threaten them that I would take over. And she did that because that happened one time. I mentioned in class this morning when I graduated from school and I was looking for work. I was a few months getting one. I didn't want to go to Louisiana or Arkansas or Oklahoma or anywhere in that direction. I wanted to come back east. And so someone had to make some money and so that fell upon my wife for a little while. And I determined at that point, I didn't care how many jobs I'd have to work, that that would never happen again. You know, it's one thing, I guess, to load the dishwasher and to wash a few clothes, and then you have to deal with those children. Man, they, they had me from the go. And so uh, I do appreciate uh, mothers and in, in the hard work that they do. One of the most well-known accounts in the Bible, at least to most children, is that of Zacchaeus. Now, we spoke on Zacchaeus some weeks back, and we talked about his great ability to climb trees, and we see that in Luke 19. But I am impressed with Zacchaeus when I read that because of his desire to change. His desire to do that which God instructed him to do, that Jesus told him to do, and he changed his way of life and his way of thinking, and that impresses me. But I'm also impressed when I read that account of how Jesus noticed a single little man up in a tree. Jesus notices individuals. I think that's one thing that we overlook, or at least I overlook often, that we can't hide in the crowd. Jesus notices individuals. He knows who we are by name. He knows the very hairs of our heads. He knows exactly where we are in our lives, where we ought to be in our lives, and whether or not we're trying to get there. One of the things that I have overlooked in this account of Zacchaeus was the statement that Jesus made to him in Luke 19 verse 5. Jesus looked up into that tree and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must abide at thy house. Now that's a statement that 
maybe at first glance we don't think a whole lot about, or at least I haven't in the past. But the reason that it sticks out in my mind is, I wonder, was Zacchaeus prepared that day for the Lord to come to his house? Considering that, and then reading our text in Matthew, I think about the question that Christ asked the Jewish leaders. He asked them, Have you not read? They questioned Him and His disciples on something they had been doing. And He said, Have you not read? Are you not aware of your history? Are you not aware of God's people and the things that happened in your history? Are you not aware of that? Have you not read that? Have you not paid attention to what God has said to you? What if one of us had been in the place of Zacchaeus that day? What if one of us had been sitting in that tree and the Lord came by and He said, Make haste, Rick, and come down from that tree. I'm coming to your house. Can you imagine? I don't know that I can even imagine that. What if Christ came to my house... He witnessed me. He talked to me. Would He ask me in the end, Have you not read? Are you not aware of the message that I sent? Have you not been paying attention to what's going on? Now we always want to be prepared to meet the Lord, don't we? That should be the primary goal each of us have in this life. Now we have other goals in this life. We have other Demands that we must meet, but the primary demand, the primary goal ought to be, am I prepared when I meet Jesus for the first time? I'm thinking that Zacchaeus was prepared. Now we don't have a lot of detail, but I think through the conversation they had that he was. Now there's one thing that we do know. When Jesus went to the house of Zacchaeus, Jesus talked about salvation, didn't He? But that wouldn't be out of the ordinary for our Lord, would it? That's what He always talked about. In some way, even when He was at the home in Bethany with His good friends Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and He was trying to find some kind of a comfort in this life from the toils that He had been burdened with, and He was sitting and speaking, and he was speaking about things of a spiritual nature, wasn't he? And that's when Martha said, Lord, don't you care? My sister has forsaken me. She's left all this work to me. Don't you care? Do you remember what he told Martha? Mary has chosen that which is needful. She's chosen the important part, right? So he talked about salvation. If he came to our homes, I'm certain that Christ would talk about salvation with us as well. But exactly how would He go about doing that, I wonder. Of course, we don't have any detail, and we can only suppose, I guess. But as we read about the life of Christ, and we read about His teachings, we can probably put together some kind of a framework on how that conversation might have gone. In my mind, as I read this, I think the Lord might talk about, and this is our first point, The doctrine that we follow. The doctrine that we follow. Would He ask us in the end, Have you not read? How would that conversation go? 
Maybe Christ would ask us, what's your view of the plan of salvation? What's your view on how I will save mankind? What do you think I did? What do you believe I instituted? What did I accomplish in my goal of saving mankind? What's the plan of doing that? Now when we talk about or refer to a plan, that means something, doesn't it? That means something. That indicates that we have to follow something. By, de- by describing Christ's chosen way of saving us as a plan, that means it was a thought-out process. Christ did not do anything on the spur of the moment, did He? He didn't have what we might say a knee-jerk reaction to something. In fact, this plan of salvation that the Lord has delivered to us has always been into effect. It has always been, rather, His plan. And it would come into effect when Christ came. He knew what He was going to do from eternity. Ephesians 3, verse 11. Now when we understand plan, it means something. Now notice what it means. A method for for achieving an end. A procedure, a detailed formulation of a program of action to have in mind. Now, if we just go by that definition, we have to understand that the Lord had intent in mind, didn't He? He had a purpose. He intended to accomplish something. If the designer has an intent, then we must align our lives with that intention. Christ says, how do you believe I want to save man? Well, Christ called His intent truth, didn't He? Are we following the truth of His intention? The truth of His plan? Notice what He said, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8.32 Paul had something to say about that. Notice 1 Timothy 2.3-4 For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. We're talking about truth. What is truth? It's a fact, right? It's a fact. When we go to court, we raise our right hand and we claim to tell the truth. We say, I promise to tell the truth. I swear to tell the truth. And when we tell the truth, that's a fact. Truths are facts. If we desire to be saved, the doctrine we hold regarding salvation must be a fact. We can determine that, can't we? If we explain to Jesus what I thought, or what we thought this plan of salvation is, what do you think His reply might be? Well, I guess it depends on what we say, right? What if someone's sitting before our Lord, and we're sitting in our homes, and He says, how does does God save man? And my reply to Him might be the common belief of, well, faith only. As long as I believe you are who you said you are, you'll save me. Now can we, dis- can we study the Scripture? And can we determine exactly what His reply to that would be? I think we can. I think according to the Bible, the Lord of Lords would look at us and ask a question. I think it would be the same one He asked the Pharisees. Have you not read? He might even ask, 
Have you not read what I said regarding work? Notice John 9, 4. I must work the works of Him that sent me. He didn't say I must work the works of man. He said I must work the works of God. God sent Jesus while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. We have an opportunity to work in this life and when the Lord comes the second time, the opportunities to work will be over. He might ask us this. He might say, have you not read what James said about faith only? Have you not looked in the the book that I have preserved for you? And notice what James said when he said, you see then that that how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only? James 2, 24. I believe in my heart, and I know you do, that Jesus would tell us of the importance of faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Hebrews 11, verse 6. But not faith only. Jesus would say, Have ye not read? What if I told Jesus that that I did not believe that baptism was necessary for salvation? No, I think you ought to be baptized. But you're baptized after you've been saved. Can we look into the teachings of Jesus, into those who came after Him and determine what His reply would be? What if He was sitting in my home and I said that? Do you think He might say, Have you not read what Peter said about baptism? Notice 1 Peter 3, 18-21. For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened or made alive by the Spirit, by which also He went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the longsuffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing. Jesus preached to those people who lived during the time of Noah through Noah. At the time he made this statement, Peter, they had died and gone into the Hadean realm. Wherein wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. Here it is. The like figure or the similar example wherein to even baptism does also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you think He might ask me if I said, I don't think you have to be baptized to gain salvation. I believe He would say, have you not read what Peter said? According to the plan He has left for us, Christ would tell us that baptism is no more important than faith. It's no more important than repentance or confession. It's no more important than living a faithful life, but it is just as important. We can't leave it out. I think if we told Jesus that, I believe He would ask, Have you not read what Peter said on the day of Pentecost? That baptism is for the remission of sin, Acts 2.38. See, that's not the question we want the Lord asking us. 
If Jesus sat down in my front room and he wanted to talk about doctrine, he wanted to talk about his plan, he might also want to talk about a pattern. A pattern. If he had come to our homes as he did Zacchaeus' home, he might ask us, what's your view of worship? What do you believe about worship? Well, what if I told him, I think we ought to come together when we have an opportunity to come together, but I don't think it is a necessity to meet with the saints every single time they open the door. I remember one time a a gentleman made the comment, he said, they're absolutely churching us to death up there. Every time I turn around, we're at the building. Well, I go to work every day, and and I know you do too. Surely, surely we can carve out a little bit of time for the Lord. According to his pattern, I think he would have said, have you not read what the writer of Hebrews commanded? Saying this, Hebrews 10, 23-26, he said, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. I professed my faith in Jesus. Now hold on to it. Don't let it go without wavering. For He is faithful that promised. He's faithful to me. I ought to be faithful to Him. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, thankfully for us, He tells us, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. What if I told him my belief was that the New Testament did not demand that I observe his memorial supper every first day of the week? I wonder what his reply to that would be. According to the history of the church, as we look over the historical account of the Acts of the Apostles, I think we would get another question. I think he would ask us, Have ye not read what the first century Christians did? Haven't you paid attention to that? Luke recorded, And they continued steadfastly, Acts 2.42, in the Apostles' doctrine and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Maybe he would look across the coffee table and he would say, Have ye not read... And upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together, Acts 20 verse 7, to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Have you not read about that memorial supper? What if I said, well, I'm looking at this pattern and and I don't know that I have to give to the church. I don't know that it's that great of a thing. I think we ought to give something, but after I've paid my bills and and I've done all of this, I'll give him a little bit of what's left over. I think he would say, have you not read what Paul said concerning the collection of the saints? 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given given order to you, uh, the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Every first day of the week, we observe the Lord's Supper. We observe 
an opportunity to give back of what God has prospered us. But what does that mean? What does that mean? I, I've been asked that question a lot. I wish I had an answer. I wish I had a number or some kind of a scale where I could say, well, you prospered this much, you give this much. Wouldn't that be so easy? See, they had that scale under the Old Testament law. They had that scale. They didn't have to worry about it. They didn't have to think about it. They just gave a 10% tithe of everything. But see, it's not like that in the New Testament. It's not like that living under the law of faith. See, we have to determine in our own hearts, what has God prospered me? How appreciative am I of that? What am I going to do concerning that? Well, it, it means that He has provided for us. And so let's provide for His cause. But I want us to understand exactly how we need to do that. God has always demanded the first fruits. Go back and look through the history of His people. He, didn't, he never accepted the crumbs. He wanted right off of the top. Now some people prosper more than others, don't they? Those who prosper more are required to give more. But they have to determine that. I certainly think it would be sad if we allowed money to keep us from the glory of heaven. What Jesus said in our homes, and He, he spoke of doctrine and the plan and the pattern. Maybe we talked about our singing worship. What if I said, Lord, I love to sing, and I just really think it's better if we have instrumental accompaniment because there's someone that sits behind me every Sunday, and they throw me off key, they just don't know how to sing properly. And I think if we had, a, had something in the background to kind of keep us on task, what do you think the Lord would say? I think He would say, Have ye not read what Paul said about offering praise songs of worship to God? Ephesians 5 or Colossians 3.16 He said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. He said almost identically the same thing in Ephesians 5.19. Someone says, well, Lord, we are singing, but you didn't say we couldn't use use an instrument. You didn't tell us we couldn't use an instrument. I think you'd say, have you not read what I delivered to John in the Revelation? Do you not recall Revelation 22, 18-19? I said, don't add to my word and don't take away from it. If you add to it, I'm going to add the plagues of this book. If you take away from it, I'm going to take your name out of the book of life. Have you not read? Are you not paying attention? We're sitting in our homes with Jesus. We're talking about salvation. We talked about a plan. Maybe He brought up the pattern. What about a priority? What's our priority as far as the church goes? Have you heard the saying, one church is just as good as another? Have you heard that? We're all getting to heaven, we're just taking different roads to get there? Well, let me ask you something. That statement's only ever made in one realm of life, and that's the spiritual realm, the religious realm. Now, periodically, I go to the doctor and... Several years ago, I was diagnosed with high blood pressure. And so the doctor said, I'm going to put you on some medication. I said, okay. What kind of medication do you recommend, doc? Well, it doesn't matter. One medication just as good as another. Just pick one. 
Man, I would think I'd have found another doctor if that's what he told me. But that's not what he told me. He gave me a specific medication for a specific problem. We have a specific treatment for a specific problem. We have a treatment for sin, and it's through that one church. What about if if we're at a gathering, maybe we're at a fellowship meal with the church, or we've gone to a ball game or something, we get ready to leave, and you grab just somebody's husband or wife, and you head out the door, and they say, Wait, wait a minute. That's my wife, or that's my husband. Ah, one's just as good as another. We don't, we don't go by that rule in, in other aspects of life, do we? We can't follow it in the religious realm. Having studied his teaching on the matter, I think Jesus would say, Have you not read what I told Peter? He made that great confession in Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 through 18. And Peter said, Thou art the Son, the, uh, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Upon this rock I'll build my church. That's a possessive, singular pronoun. I will build my church. That's like my wife, my child, my car, my home, whatever the case may be. He described it in that way. One church is not just as good as another. Why? Why is that the case? Is that because we want to be ugly towards somebody? Is that because we want to try to treat someone like they don't know what they're talking about? No! One church is not as good as another because Christ authorized one church. He didn't authorize 40,000 churches. He authorized one. Let's find that one church. Let's dig it out. Let's hunt for it. And if I'm wrong in this, I want someone to please let me know because I want to get to heaven. Christ built one church. He purchased it with His own blood. Acts 20, 28. And that's why Paul identified it by His name. Christ's name. Romans 16, 16. What if I'm sitting in the home and He's talked to me about doctrine and maybe He says a little something about my development. Point number two. What about my development? He might be talking about my personal development. Would he be happy with my personal development? As Jesus stood before Pilate, he declared his kingdom was not of this world, John 18.36. In response to that, he asked him if he was a king. In verse 37, Jesus said, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born in... For this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto truth. Here we go, we're talking about truth again. A fact. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. And then Pilate asked a question that's been asked from almost the beginning of time. Well, what's truth? What what are the facts? Those who have copies of the Bible have the truth, don't they? They have the facts. The problem is we don't learn it by simply owning it. We don't gain it through osmosis. We can't hold it in our hands and say, now I know the Word of God. We've got to open the pages. We've got to dig into it. We've got to study it. We've got to study it like we'd study anything else that we want. You Just because you own one doesn't mean you're going to know it. I have 15 copies at least of the Bible in my office. I have over 20 more on electronic format. But that doesn't mean anything, unless I'm using it. What if Jesus said, how often do you study? I'd have to be honest with Him, because He knows the hearts of all men. 
What if I say, well, not very often. I sit in Bible class and I listen to the sermons. What do you think he would say? I think he'd look right at me and say, have you not read? Peter said, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, 1 Peter 3.15. Have you not read that? Are you not prepared? Maybe he would ask me this. Have you not read what Paul encouraged Timothy to do? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling properly the Word of God, 2 Timothy 2.15. I might say, well, Lord, I just can't understand the Bible. It's just beyond my comprehension. What do you think he would say? Have you not read what Paul told the Ephesians? Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Ephesians 3, 4. We can understand the Bible just as it is written. We don't need anything else. Now there are going to be some difficulties. Peter talked about that in 2 Peter 3, 15 through 16. Some of the things that that Paul talked about were difficult to understand, but, but I want you to notice what he said. He said, those who do that are unlearned and unstable. They rest or pervert that, those difficult passages. He said, but not just those. They rest or pervert all of them. Even the ones that are not difficult. Jesus might talk to me about personal development, but He might talk about some other kind of development too. What about my parental development? Today is Mother's Day. We're talking a little bit about children here, aren't we? My parental development. Children or anyone over whom we have influence or authority, really. Before we can teach our children, we must first have taught ourselves. Right? That's important. Then we pass that knowledge on. What's the most important thing any parent can do? Get that child headed to heaven. Put him on the road to heaven or her on the road to heaven. Make sure you've done all you can do and then they'll take care of the rest. And if they don't, you've still done all you can do. A child must have a proper environment in which to grow, proper examples. What do you think the Lord would, would say about our modern day parenting uh, plans? What do you think He would say about some of these books that we have out there? Do you think He would say, oh, you can't punish that child, you might, you might destroy his or her self-esteem, don't tell them they're wrong. We can't do that. Don't discipline that child. Oh, don't you spank that child. Let me tell you something. Anyone that's a good parent that loves their children, they don't want to spank that child. And it breaks their heart when they have to spank that child. But I think Jesus would say, Have you not read what the wise man Solomon said? He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him be times, many times. Proverbs thirteen twenty four. Perhaps he would direct us to the writings of Paul. Have you not read, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right? Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee that thou mayest live long on the earth. And your fathers, provoke not your children unto wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. We have to do that. Train them to do that. 
Listen, sending them to class on Sunday morning and Wednesday night is not getting the job done. We have to do it at home. We have to rear our children at home. Isaiah said, 54, 13, And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Nothing is more important. I must develop that. What about my development in the public? If we're going to be successful in our mission as Christians, we have to have the same mission Jesus had. We read that in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. What if I said, Lord, I don't really talk to anybody about you. I can't lie to him because he knows my heart, he knows my mind, he knows exactly what I'm doing. He'd say, have you not read what I told the disciples before I ascended back to the Father? Before I sat down on the right hand of the throne? Before I I took control of the kingdom and now I'm ruling over it? Have you not read that? Go into all the world. Make disciples of every nation. Aren't you glad that He didn't say, Go and convert everybody of every nation. He simply said, go preach the gospel. Have you not read? If we're going to teach it in the same way the first century taught it, we better have a sense of urgency. He's sitting there with me. He wanted to talk about doctrine. He said something about my development. What about my destination? That's our final point. What about my destination? What would Jesus think about my view of eternity? What would He think about that? How would He react to a self-proclaimed atheist who did not believe in God or anything in the afterlife, that there is nothing. I think he would ask, Have you not read what David said? The fool hath said in his heart there is no God, Psalm 14, 1. Jesus might might ask, Have you not read about the, the cause and effect that's taught in the Bible? Nothing just happens on its own. Have you not read that? The writer of Hebrews said, For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God, Hebrews 3, 4. Have you not read that? When members of certain denominations teach that when we die in this life, that's just it, it's over. How would Christ respond to that? I think he'd say, Have you not read in Ecclesiastes? When the wise man spoke of that, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, Ecclesiastes 12, 7. And the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Return to God for safekeeping. In one of two realms. Paradise as we know it with Abraham and Lazarus. Or torments where the rich man was. Have you not read that? Do you not care? Eternity is real. We've got to be prepared for it. It might come any time. What would Jesus think about my beliefs of expected rewards in my destination? Some think there's not going to be any punishment, only rewards. There's no punishment. If we do not receive the reward we want, we'll just get a second chance. Where's that in the Bible? I don't think Jesus will say, have you not read where you get a second chance? He's not going to say that. He'd say, have you not read that without faith it is impossible to please Him? Guess what's not going to be in the next life? Faith. What is faith? The the substance of things hoped for, 
the evidence of things not seen. There will be nothing unseen in heaven or in eternity. Nothing unseen. Someone says, well, you can get a second chance in the afterlife. Well, then you're going to be saved without faith because there won't be any because you'll see it. That's why the angels couldn't have a second law of pardon. In responding to the belief of no eternal punishment, I think Jesus would ask, have you not read what I said about the punishment of hell? And in hell he lift up his eyes, Luke 16, 23, being in torments, and saith Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom. He's talking about the rich man. He didn't get a second chance. Christ taught more about hell than he ever taught about heaven. Have you not read? Have you not read in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began? We'll be in one of two places. When we realize Jesus knows the hearts of all people, He knows everything. I think our beliefs and our actions take on a whole new meaning. When we think about what He's taught, And at that point, I find the importance of complying with His commandments. What if Jesus came to my home like He did the home of Zacchaeus? What if He came into my home and He asked me about my doctrine and my development? He asked about my destination. What would I say? And what would His reply be in response to that? Would He ask me, have you not read that you're not doing right? Have you not read that you're following the wrong plan, the wrong pattern? Your destination is not what you think it's going to be. Have you not read? Take the time to read. If I'm wrong, please let me know. Let me know. But we can know that we're saved if we read. If you've never obeyed the gospel, do that today. We read it right in the Scripture. Faith, repentance, Confession that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, that He died on the cross, He came out of the grave after three days, He ascended back to heaven, He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling over His kingdom as we speak. Immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins. That's what Ananias told Paul. Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. How do we call on the name of the Lord? Through obedience. That's what, that's what Paul did. Have you not read? If we fall away, we can come back to Him. Someone says, well, I sinned after having obeyed the gospel. The Lord doesn't want me anymore. I think Jesus' reply would be, have you not read what John said? If you confess your faults, I'm just to forgive you. Have you not read that? Have you not read of my love? If you stand in need to answer this Lord's invitation, don't leave here without being in a covenant relationship with God. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.